this is Bridget. And this is Emily. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today, we're really excited to talk about a store you might have heard of called Walmart. I'm sure some of y'all out there have one in your town, drive by it, maybe you even shop there. Today, we're going to be getting into some of the not-so-warm and fuzzy aspects of how Walmart treats its employees, and another company you might like a lot more than Walmart called ModCloth. And spoiler alert, they are now the same company. They are now owned and operated by the same company. Which I have to say, I actually didn't really know for a while. I was a huge ModCloth fan, like a lot of women, I'm sure. Um, a lot of the goods in my apartment are from ModCloth. Um, I didn't really love a lot of their clothing, but I loved their like quirky homewares. Was kind yeah, of my thing. it felt like Portland if Portland was a clothing store, <laughs> which quite frankly was never my thing. So I bring some bias to the table on this one because I was never that into the vintage inspired, but not actually vintage clothing lines. But I do respect the way that they made choices around their marketing, which we'll we'll dive into. But this la- this latest choice was certainly a doozy. It was a doozy, and I think for a lot of their fans online, certainly a surprising one. So to take it back to Walmart for a minute, I know you might be thinking, okay, so Walmart is one store, it's one retailer, why should anybody care what they do and what their labor practices look like? But here's why you should care. Walmart is actually the world's largest private employer. They employ 2.3 million employees worldwide. That's more than all of the U.S.'s active military personnel, which is pretty huge. It's like our military, it rivals our military. Yes. The Walmart workforce is its own army. Yeah. It's it's, insane. That's that's an accurate statement. Army, Navy, every every branch. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's massive. So really, we should all kind of be invested in how Walmart treats its employees because the way that Walmart does things sets the tone for other retailers. If Walmart can get away with something in terms of labor practices, other smaller retailers feel like they probably can too. The sheer volume and influence that Walmart brings to the table influences what folks expect in the working world um, and what they can get away with, just like you said, Bridget. It's payroll and it's pay and its practices for employee management and talent management really moves the needle in terms of what workers can expect in terms of rights in this country. Definitely. And across the world. Definitely, definitely. Because Walmart does have global reach. So unless you've been living under a rock, you might already know that Walmart isn't really known for treating employees very fairly. Mm. Um, there's a whole, if, if we did an entire podcast about all the allegations made against Walmart, this would be a seven-hour podcast, and you would probably, unless you were driving cross-country, you would never listen to it. Um, to sum it up, Walmart has had a long history of treating employees not so well. In 2012, Walmart was fined by the Department of Labor for denying workers overtime pay and had to pay back $4.8 million in back wages. Honestly, like you said, if we went through every allegation, we would be here forever. So yes. in terms of recent uh, proven violations of workers' rights, they also were ordered to pay truck drivers $54 million after a California jury found that they had intentionally underpaid them. 
And just as recently as this summer, a report from workers' advocacy group, A Better Balance, found that Walmart routinely refuses to accept doctor's notes, penalizes workers who take care of a sick family member, and otherwise punishes employees for lawful absences. There's a ton of retaliation in the Walmart culture. And it feels like despite what the policies might be on the books, that managers in each and every store had a ton of leeway and made kind of arbitrary choices in how they treated workers fairly or not so fairly. Exactly, Emily. And later on in the show, we're going to talk to Janie Grice, a Walmart employee who says that's exactly what's going on at Walmart. And a recent report based on the survey of more than a 1,000 employees, just like Janie, accuses Walmart of violating the American with Disabilities Act, the Family and Medical Leave Act, and a whole bunch of other worker protection laws that are already on the books. These are workers' rights that we've already fought for. And by the way, we don't really have that many in this country right now. And a lot of them have been peeled back or, or or rolled back in states that are right-to-work states, where labor laws have become even weaker and protections for workers have become sort of a passe and not quite a thing anymore. But even when it comes to the laws that we do have on the books, an earlier complaint was made with the EEOC, our, our pals that we always like to mention. Friends of the show? Yeah. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and in a lawsuit filed last month, uh, reports show that Walmart discriminated against pregnant workers. And when you really drill down on the way that Walmart deals with women, you really see that the problem is magnified when you bring gender into the mix. The vast majority of associates receive no paid leave or flexible schedules to help them take care of their families. And actually, Walmart doesn't release their data on pay equity, but a 2001 study found that men at Walmart make an average of $5,200 more than women. And that's for the same work. And that's just what we know about, right? So it's it's not good. It's not good. And I think it's, you know, we all sort of know that Walmart sucks. We know that they don't give their employees benefits. And those prices, the low, low prices, like lure so many of us in. Um, and I always feel guilty when I, on occasion, stroll into a Walmart because I'm in the middle of nowhere on the road and I need a, a protein bar or something. And they've made the experience seem really quite friendly and pleasant. And they've really tried to brand themselves as like low prices because you, America, deserves a break. And they play into the financial insecurity that they're perpetuating. That's something I've always found so difficult to wrap my head around with Walmart is that I get it. If you are a frazzled single parent and you just need to run in to grab some stuff on the cheap and then like run back home and make dinner, part of me can totally understand why maybe Walmart's labor practices aren't the first and foremost thing in your mind when Mm -hmm. you're just trying to get through your day. Yeah, and everybody's got to make those tough choices about the family budget and stretching the family dollar. But it's important to know what you're supporting. It's important to know that uh, in 2001, Walmart was at the center of a of a lawsuit, a class action lawsuit, Dukes versus Walmart, which was a landmark gender discrimination case that made it all the way up to the Supreme Court. Betty Dukes, a Walmart greeter, despite six years of work and totally positive performance reviews, she was denied the training that she needed to advance to a higher salaried position, which, by the way, is something that Walmart constantly is telling people. You know, the opportunities are here for you. You just got to pull yourself up by your... uh blue Walmart vest. You know what I mean? Like, they make it sound like if you're not rising in the ranks of management, that's on you because we've given you every opportunity. And they they try to make it clear, or at least there's, I think, a branded 
message that we're here to offer career paths. And that's not the case in reality. A lot of the workers that we've heard from, and Janie, who we're going to hear from in a minute, makes it very clear that those opportunities are not given freely or equally. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Even in researching this episode, when you go to Walmart's own website for employees and potential employees, the first thing that jumps out at you is opportunity and advancement. They've clearly sold potential employees on this idea that if they join up with Walmart and work hard, they can work their way through the ranks. And they love having all these stats about how many of their employees started as associates and then worked their way up to management. It's clearly a branding choice they love relying on and selling and packaging to make themselves seem really warm and cuddly. Doesn't it sound like the American dream? It does sound like the American dream. Which is also a false sale. Yeah. (laughs) Which is not really, like, class mobility. What the hell is that in this country anymore? You know what I mean? So it seems like a battle of perception. Is it on you, the individual, to rise in the ranks, and therefore, if you don't, it's a personal failure? Or is it the systemic injustices that are perpetuated by clear, calculated, strategic, and structural choices about how this organization runs its business. Well, the 1.6 million women involved in this Duke's case would say it is not their choices. It's a systematic way of keeping women down who work at Walmart. In this filing, one plaintiff's store manager justified giving a large raise to a male employee because he had a family to support. Oh, the daddy bump. Remember we talked about the mommy tax? What was it? The daddy bonus? He basically openly acknowledged, this is why I'm giving this dude a promotion. And all the women and mothers in the room were like, thanks. (laughs) He later suggested to the plaintiff that she, quote, doll up and, quote, blow the cobwebs off her makeup to make herself more promotable. Who the f*** says blow the cobwebs off your makeup? I can close my <laughs> eyes and see who this guy is. He's like you know got what I mean? a packed lip of dip. He's like, you know what, sweetheart? If you just blow the cobwebs off that makeup, you know. What is this accent? I don't know. <laughs> I like went for some Texan and then it turned into like something really not Texan. <laughs> But he feels like this, like, deep south, good old boy. It's like a a complete throwback. And I think that that really illustrates the kind of climate that these women say they were dealing with at Walmart. I just offended all of our listeners in the deep south. Uh, I'm sorry. I actually love Texas, just for the record. So we were talking about this class action lawsuit and how they systematically discriminated against women. So in a bunch of the store managers at California Walmarts, not deep south, by the way, were advised at the institute where Walmart trains its managers that the reason there are few senior female managers at Walmart is because men were, quote, more aggressive in achieving those levels of responsibility than women. Which, by the way, we already know is BS. All the data says that it's not the fact that women are less aggressive and not going for promotions and things like that. Actually, that's not true, right? Who wants to embrace aggression? Who's, like, lauding aggression here? What the hell is that about? I think they mean assertive, which is a different soapbox that I could get on. And this also just goes to show you how much bad HR training is out there. I'm in my, like, putting on my diversity and inclusion HR training hat. Like, there are slides out there that say, here's why women just can't get it right. Like, come on, ladies, be more like men. What is with me in accents today? I love it. I'm in, like, a loopy rage about this. So, So listen to this. The managers at the Institute 
were cautioned that efforts to promote women could lead to the selection of less qualified women over more qualified men. Which is that same tired uh, idea that if you promote women, you're promoting people who aren't as good, which we've already debunked in our Silicon Valley episode. It is the equal and opposite reaction to the gender and inclusion conversation. And it doesn't surprise me, sadly, but it does remind me of how basic the fundamental differences are between folks who see gender and inclusion training and promotion as fixing a flawed and inherently biased problem versus folks who think it's like giving an upper hand and, you know, stealing jobs from white men, basically. Yeah, stealing jobs from more qualified white candidates and giving them to less qualified women and people of color. Yeah, it also belies this assumption that aggressive is the model archetype of leadership. Right. Which is partly probably the reason why so many of their managers pursue such abhorrent policies. Totally. And you know I have a whole thing against that. I hate when people say, oh, if you want to get ahead, just be just be more aggressive, be more like men. I actually don't mm-hmm. think that's good advice. Girl, same. I have a whole thing on assertive versus aggressive, yeah. which we'll, we'll dabble into more. But it's real. It's assertive. You want to be assertive. You want to be reciprocal in caring about other people's rights, but clear about what you want and need. But not aggressive, not steamrolling over other people. That's not what leaders do. Anyway, sadly, this case was granted class action status, but when it landed in the Supreme Court, basically due to a lawyerly legal technicality, the status was reversed in a 5-4 decision. The conservative judges of the court felt that the women's complaints were too dissimilar. There were too many... There was such a myriad of ways in which women were being screwed over that it wasn't fair to lump them into one class action suit, which is just like, really, there's too many nuances to how they f*** women over, like, to make it a class action lawsuit? Exactly. And you know who we have to thank for that is the late Anton Scalia. But of course, our old friend, the notorious RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, had a lot to say about that. She was a dissenting vote in this case. And she said that she found that gender bias suffused Walmart's corporate culture. Yeah, and it sounds like all the judges agreed that there was a problem with the form of the case, which didn't argue that one million plus employees were discriminated against in the same way. So it seems like someone's legal team got lost on a technicality. Yeah, and it really kind of set the tone that Walmart was able to, I think, get away with unfair labor practices, particularly as it pertains to women, for a while. On a mass scale, without repercussions. And I'm sure they had the best lawyers in the world, you know, and... And we're not lawyers, so, you know, we're not, we're not able to break apart the, the, the flaws in the case that was made, but it does feel like they missed the point that the justices agreed on the fact that these were discriminatory practices, but they were just not similar enough in nature to file in a class action lawsuit. Exactly. And these kinds of disputes have not gone away. In fact, Earlier this week, almost six years after the courts threw out the Dukes case, more women are coming forward to sue Walmart alleging gender discrimination. Now, this new suit alleges that Walmart is violating Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Right. So that's a federal law that prohibits employers from discriminating against employees on the basis of sex, race, color, national origin, and religion. And it really applies to businesses with 15 or more employees, including governments. So obviously Walmart fits the bill. And in this lawsuit, 
They allege that Walmarts in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Alabama, Tennessee, and Virginia had a disparate impact. So that could mean, you know, in wages, in hiring rates, in promotions, in firing, in terms of its female employees in those regions. And it was not justified by any kind of business necessity. So it was just pure discrimination. And I think the guest that we'll talk to later in the episode, who is actually based in South Carolina, can really speak to what she's seen as a female employee working at Walmart. We're going to dive into some of the ways that Walmart has tried to shed their not-so-nice image in favor of a cuter, cuddlier, dare I say, more feminist branding after this quick break. And we're back. And we were just talking about some of the ways that we kind of already know Walmart isn't so great. But what's the deal with mod cloth? Where do they come in? So you may have noticed that Amazon is really taking over our, you know, e-commerce landscape. And Walmart has really been trying to adopt a hipper, more modern vibe to compete. Exactly. So they've added free shipping on their website. They've acquired trendy e-commerce outlets like Jet.com. And this expansion for Walmart is, okay, how do we keep our big box retailers relevant in an e-commerce era? And so they've made strategic acquisitions to their company that can help with their brand, can help them stay relevant, can help them stay forward-facing. And that is part of the reason that they wanted to and successfully acquired ModCloth. So ModCloth is one of those companies with a cult following. If you're like me, like I said earlier in the show, you love it. Women lived for this brand, and I can totally understand why. It had one of those cute founding stories. Moncloth was founded in 2002 in a college dorm room. Susan Gregg Coger and her then-boyfriend Eric Coger founded it while they were students at Carnegie Mellon. And basically, it's one of those companies that went from being founded in a dorm room to being really, really successful and lucrative, which I think is a story that everyone kind of loves. So after nixing this idea of selling on eBay, because she was a thrifter and apparently that was a thing that a lot of boss ladies were doing in this time period, um, the couple ended up being able to support themselves throughout school by starting their own site. So ModCloth was initially selling vintage clothing through their website, but because they only had like one or two sizes per item, and they were getting to the point between 2002 and 2005 when they were getting like 70,000 unique shoppers a day and realized, hey, even though we're just college students and this was sort of a hobby, this is something I could do as a full-time job upon graduation in a year. So it was certainly more interesting than what the Career Center had to offer. And they realized if they got serious about scaling their business that they could actually pursue it. So Susan and Eric decided they were going to pursue financing. They went to a major fashion trade show in Las Vegas. They put together their first own original collection that was not thrifted, but was inspired by the sort of vintage look that ModCloth had built its brand around. And they ended up raising some serious capital. Folks put a million dollars into the business and it took off. And so ModCloth grew from this very like, oh, very scrappy, thrifty, female-led endeavor to a venture-backed, scalable business that was making real money. Which is so cool. I mean, that story of just being someone who loved to shop in thrift stores and vintage stores and had an eye for fashion, turning that from a hobby that you do from your dorm room into a million-dollar company, that's the stuff dreams are made of. Another thing that I think made ModCloth such a cult favorite 
is that they actually genuinely seem to care about women and feminist causes. Right. They walked the walk. They didn't just talk the talk. So in 2014, they were the first retailer to sign the Heroes Pledge in advertising, which promised not to use Photoshop on their images. They were really known for using staff members as models and other real women instead of professional models and had always been good about inclusive sizing and fit for different body types. The employees also seemed to really believe in its feminist mission. One employee told Jezebel that it was an absolute dream job. The thing that made it so special is that the company was genuine when it talked about its values. Everyone that worked there shared those values personally. It was a place that you all felt good about the work that you were doing. Those values explicitly involved feminism, she adds. Susan is a feminist. She's open about that, and the company aligned with those values. I think that's why it grew so rapidly. And I really agree. I think there are so many crappy companies out there that talk a big game about being good for women and wanting to market toward women. Maybe your Ivanka Trumps of the world (laughs) might be included in that. But then when you pick it apart, it actually is terrible for women or treats women badly or isn't feminist at all or makes all kinds of crappy, gross employment and labor choices. I think it was really refreshing for women to have a clothing retailer that actually, one, made clothes that you would want to wear, and two, seemed to really respect feminist ideals, not just in a way that was lip service, but in a way that was authentic. Also, this was like years before Beyonce danced in front of the word feminist. This was before feminism was the de facto marketing strategy for all women's business models. Um, and then, in March, Mod Cloth was acquired by Walmart. Like... <laughs> What? (laughs) Like, how does that happen? How does that story end that way? It seems like such a strange choice for Mod Cloth that you have to wonder, why? Yeah. I mean, that's certainly what their fans were asking. There was a lot of outcry online. Connie Warner, a Mod Cloth fan who started the Boycott Mod Cloth page on Facebook, said, The thing I loved about Mod Cloth is that I knew the clothes I bought there couldn't be found at Macy's and weren't worn by the masses. No more. I've unsubscribed from their emails. I refuse to shop at a store owned by Walmart. And it just seems like for Walmart, a brand booster and a digital acquisition in to stay relevant uh, in this era of e-commerce, for ModCloth, it seems like a death sentence. Totally. And especially when your customers have so much riding on you as this warm, cuddly, you know, feminist, warm, fuzzies organization to just sort of yank that rug from under them seems like such a strange choice to me. And it's no wonder that people on Twitter, there was so much hate. Like, when the founder of ModCloth put the statement out on her blog that they were getting bought by Walmart, all of the comments were basically like, oh, you're selling your soul. Enjoy all the money. You said that you were a feminist, but clearly you have sold us out. Hope it was worth it. Yeah, well, TechCrunch is reporting that it sold for between 50 and 75 million. So I'm pretty sure that... The Cogers are sitting on a pile of money saying, oh, our internet fans are ha- are mad at us, but somehow we'll get on. <laughs> She's like wiping her tears with, with- $100 bills. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> She's like blowing her nose in, in them. You know what I mean? Like, it, the statement she put out about this was very eye-opening, in my opinion. And he, I'll be clear here, y'all. I was never a big Mod Cloth fan. I am not 
a Zoe De Chanel aesthetic type Portlandia chick. This is not my thing. So I was totally not in the cult of mod cloth. And when I read this quote from her, her statement that she put out about this, which I should say, she's a co-owner with her husband. So we shouldn't put all the blame on her. But when I read the statement that they made about this sale and this choice, I was like, this is the most narcissistic thing I've ever read that does not value the response that her fans are giving her. Here's what she said. So she told Jezebel, quote, I spent the last 15 years of my life working on this business and trying to make a positive difference in the world. It hurts to hear former employees and customers tell me that I'm selling out or that I'm ruining the brand, a.k.a. my life's work so far. But now that I've had some time to think about everything, I've realized the negative reactions are actually an indication of how strong the Mod Cloth brand and community are. People truly and passionately care about it and feel like it's something that they own. And that's extremely hard to create in a brand. So I'm proud of that reaction, too, in some way. Okay, <laughs> first of all, that is some real doublespeak of... Oh, well, actually, it's a good thing because it just shows that our customers love our brand that much that they hate us now. Yeah, I mean, aren't I amazing at creating a brand that so many people bought into that they now hate me for making this totally off-brand choice about how to cash out? Also, do you buy that she didn't quite know how passionately people felt about this brand? Or do you think that's just something she's saying after the fact? I think she's... I, I mean... Who knows? I'm speculating. But if I saw Sofia Amoroso bankrupt her business and sell Girl Boss like she's been selling it and start holding women's empowerment conferences and traveling the world talking about what women entrepreneurs should be doing, I would probably cash in on that too. And maybe she had no options. Maybe she's got reasons that we don't know about. But She's said that she wants to travel the world. I'm sure she's going to have her face on the cover of a book sometime soon, touting how to start a feminist revolution, one vintage piece of clothing at a time. And honestly, that like grinds my gears a little bit because she left her company in the hands of CEO Matt Canis, who routinely makes negative comments about the use of plus-size models and wanted to see fewer of them on the site, telling employees that they weren't, quote, aspirational to look at, although he denies saying that. Yeah, he denies making these comments. He says that he never said that. He he says, look at our track record of including, you know, plus-size women on the site. But a really interesting article from Jezebel called How Mod Cloth Strayed from Its Feminist Beginnings and Ended Up a Walmart Property, they actually look at Glassdoor reviews from former employees, and it really sounds like there was some issue in terms of how they were going to move forward with being size inclusive. And I think that's so awful considering the fact that that was one of the main things that made Mod Cloth Mod Cloth was the fact that they offered sizes for everybody. They offered clothes that looked good on everybody. And it seems like this was something that as soon as the company switched ownership, they were no longer really invested in protecting. It was like this legacy that they had built. As soon as they got a new CEO or bought by Walmart, that legacy started to be chipped away. And that, I mean, those are hard choices to make as a business owner. They really are. I can't imagine, a, like, a future in which I would leave my company in the hands of someone else. But because I care so much about what we do and because I started it, which I understand the kind of love that you have for a community and a business that you've created, just you wouldn't hand your baby off to someone who doesn't share your values. 
Wouldn't that be part of the negotiation and vetting process of a potential acquisition? I mean, maybe they just felt like this was their only option and they wanted out, but it just feels like a huge PR win for Walmart and a huge fail on so many levels for everyone that loved ModCloth except for those who are sitting on a cash pile right now. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there are a lot of their staff members are leaving vocally. A lot of their clients and customers are leaving vocally. I mean, who knows exactly how it went down except the folks who were in the room. But the founders said that they would be spending the next year traveling the world and writing a book and that we've lived three lifetimes in the last 15 years and it would feel really good to share our successes, failures, and learnings with others. And y'all, get ready for some PR campaign around how she did it and how you can do it too. And that's the thing that bothers me most of all. It's like girl boss all over again, which they just made a financially ruinous decision for their company. And she's going to capitalize on it. Well, that's exactly the thing. As Jezbel points out at the end of this article, you know who doesn't really have the option to travel the world and sell their story? The rest of the employees who are still at ModCloth. One of them is quoted in this article as saying, I'm left really sad and conflicted. I've been actively boycotting Walmart for years. Having to sign papers saying I now work for them is a tough pill to swallow. Mm. And it just makes you think... They probably lured all these people into working for what they thought was this great feminist company only to pull the rug from under them, you know, for money. Well, it's just like faux feminism on display, y'all. It's not about what you say. It's about what you do. It is not about one woman's success story. That's not what feminism is. It's not about supporting a corporate conglomerate like Walmart that routinely discriminates against women. How can you reconcile those two beliefs? I am not trying to throw shade at a woman entrepreneur or any entrepreneur who's trying to make a buck. I get it. Like, good on you. But don't talk the feminist talk and and hand your company over to Walmart with their labor practices and their outright hostility towards women. Exactly. And I think, you know, as women, as consumers... Something that we advocate a lot for on the show is just knowing where your money is going. So if you're someone who shops at Walmart, shops at ModCloth, know what you're getting into, know where your dollar is going, and know what you're going to support. That's That's been my argument since day one. I get it. I get that not everybody is ready to cut Walmart out of their life completely because maybe that's not realistic for everybody. But I think that we should be advocating for folks to understand what the companies they support are actually doing in the world. And I think that's what is so troubling for me, particularly when you look at the fact that Walmart kind of obscures that they own ModCloth. When you go to ModCloth.com, it oh, doesn't yeah. say a Walmart, a Walmart company. company. They're, they're, and I, I don't think that's a coincidence. Oh yeah, they want this not to be in our podcast. <laughs> yeah. They explicitly want to not associate their Walmart brand. They want to keep taking millennial women's money. Exactly. That's what they want, y'all. So just know you're being duped into supporting Walmart for shopping at ModCloth right now. And as feminists, you know, it's always important to be thinking about all different kinds of women. If your feminism is just for upper middle class ladies, it's not really, at least in my book, it's not really feminism. And so when you're spending your money, think about how other women are being treated, how that money is impacting other women who might not be like yourself. What are you going to support in their life? We're going to talk a little bit more about what it looks like for women employees at Walmart after this quick break. And we're back. Today, we are so thrilled to be joined by Janie Grice. 
Jamie is a Walmart associate and a member of Our Walmart, an organization that really harnesses the power of Walmart associates to campaign for better labor practices and fair pay. Jamie, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So, Jamie, tell us a little bit about Our Walmart. What is Our Walmart? Our Walmart is this fabulous organization that I, I was lucky enough to be able to join. Um, it's an organization that was founded by current and former associates of Walmart fighting for the needs of the associates. And how long have you been a Walmart associate? How did you find yourself working there? Wow, I've been with Walmart now for four years as of yesterday. I used to hear such good things about Walmart and how it was a great company to work for. Well, evidently that was long before my time because I hadn't seen it yet. And um, what happened with me personally, I lost my job um, that I had prior. Well, it was years prior. It, the unemployment rate in my, 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 my town was so high. We had the whole, we had the highest unemployment rate in the state of South Carolina. And it was really, really hard trying to find a job. And I put in an application with Walmart maybe two or three years prior to me actually getting a job. I actually had a job with um, the library when I got hired on at Walmart. And the reason why I left that job is because it was actually part-time. So when I was hired at Walmart, the manager who hired me, said that she would give me, you know, enough hours to where, you know, I could live. And for a while, that's that's what was happening. But, you know, with different managers, different things happen. So it, it all depends on who you know. Why was it important to you to join an organization like our Walmart that's involved in helping associates speak up for better better pay and better labor practices? Well, because I, I for one, I, I got tired of um, feeling like I was alone in this. I didn't know that there were a whole lot of more associates that was going through the exact, exact same things that me and so many more of my coworkers were going through. So being able to, to, to reach out or have someone reach out to you and let you know, well, we have an organization and we need people like you to, you know, speak out about injustices that, that are going on within Walmart. So that was just like a, 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 a eye opener for me. Yeah, it's probably really impactful to know that you're not alone with, your, with what you're dealing with. So if you're dealing with low pay, discrimination, things that don't seem fair, sometimes it probably feels like you're dealing with that just on your own and you have to just shoulder that burden just on your own. But when you find out actually a lot of associates at Walmart are dealing with this, it can probably be pretty powerful. I was amazed at how many other people was going through exactly what I was going through. So what are some of the stories that you've heard about other people's experiences at Walmart? Ooh-wee, where should I start? Um, I've heard about associates who were really, really sick and had to go into work, and some have actually fallen dead, you know, because they didn't want to take the time off to, you know, go to the doctor to take care of themselves because they couldn't afford to miss work. Mm. And I've heard so many stories about how, Pregnant women, you know, they're out and they're only out for like a little bit of time. They can't really bond with their kids because they have to get back to work. And oh my goodness, it's, it's, there's so many horror stories. That sounds like such a tough choice to have to make, right? To have to choose between 
putting money on, you know, in the bank and food on the table and working conditions that leave people feeling like there's no choice. How do you, how does that make you feel like going into work every day? It makes you upset. I mean, because nobody should have to choose between work and home or, you know, family. That that should be a given. And once upon a time, Walmart was a family-oriented company, and so much has changed. It used to be more about the associates and them being with their families, but now it's more uh, Walmart and money. So, yeah, it makes you upset because it's, it's just not right. It's not fair. It's not fair for the associates. Has there ever been a time when you felt like you were facing a really impossible choice about what you needed to be doing to provide for yourself or your loved ones? Was there a choice that you had to face like that in terms of how Walmart treats its associates? Every single week I'm facing that choice because now that I was promoted, I make good by the hour. But when you're not getting any hours, it's difficult. So it's every the the entire four years that I've been with Walmart, it's always been a choice of: Am I going to pay my rent? Am I going to pay my car payment? How am I how am I going to pay my light bill? So it's always you know it's 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 been a struggle. It's always been a struggle since I've been with Walmart, and and that's frustrating in itself because nobody should have to choose how you're going to pay your bills or how you're going to eat or how you're going to take care of your family. That should never be a choice. And it sounds like you've been moving up the pipeline in Walmart. So what do folks at Walmart have to say about this? You know, when when you were given this promotion, but yet still don't get the hours that you need to make ends meet all the time, how do the folks at Walmart make that case to you about why you should stay working with them and why you should invest in their company? Well, they try to run the line. Well, you know, there's always career opportunities at Walmart and you can always advance in, you know, in your career, but, um, that's not necessarily true. It is, but it's not because the way, the way that they do things now, they make people not want to stay, you know, because they don't have these full-time positions that they talk so much about. It's only certain departments uh, that have full-time positions. And see, me, myself, I work on the front end. I'm a customer service manager. So we see a lot of cashiers and customer service managers who just work part-time. You you may go in for four hours a day, and that's just ridiculous as an adult to have to go in for those few hours when you have a whole family that you're trying to maintain. It doesn't seem like it's it makes you feel like a dignified person. It doesn't feel like it gives you that... It it almost seems like disrespectful. Yeah, it does. Mm. It does. It really, really does. Because I got I have an eighteen year old, and when he was working, he works. You know, he works maybe four or five hours a day. Here I am, almost forty years old, and I'm doing the same thing as my eighteen year old. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I don't understand how they expect for anyone with a family to actually take care of their family when you work in so few hours. And it's not like they don't need the help, right? It's just that they're 
taking all the work hours that they have and chopping them up into tiny little kinds of shift work for associates like you, which seems like a very intentional practice, doesn't it? It seems like a very intentional choice that Walmart has made that leaves workers like you who are willing and able to give more time feeling like you can't even get the hours that you want. Right. Jamie, can you speak a little bit about how Walmart is for women? Um, what, what's the climate like for the women who work there? Well, the majority of people who work there are women. Um, I can't really say that, you know, it's an awesome company that really, you know, supports women because that's not what I've seen. Um, they've been, you know, repeatedly sued for gender discrimination and, They refuse to disclose how much women are paid in comparison to men. I actually went to the shareholders meeting in Arkansas earlier this year, and I was able to actually, you know, ask them to give us those numbers, and they they will not release them at all. And from a report in uh, 2003, they found that women working at Walmart at any level, they earn $5,200 less than their male counterparts. So that that says a lot. That's back in 2003, and here it is, 2017. So evidently nothing's changed because they're not releasing this data. We're asking and they're not releasing it. And you did mention that you see a lot of pregnant employees at Walmart having to come back um, soon after giving birth. It sounds like there's no rights to maternity leave or paid leave to take care of a sick person in your family or to recover from childbirth. Is that correct? No, that's correct. Especially for, like, the lower-level associates. Now, management, they get, I think it's about 12 weeks paid leave when they go go out with their pregnancies. But as far as associates on my level or lower, they don't, they don't get the same things. They don't get the same things. But but our Walmart, we just want to change and got Walmart to adopt the new pregnancy pregnancy um, policy requiring the company to treat pregnancy as a temporary disability. Wow. So that's now pregnant associates, yes, yes. So now pregnant associates can have more accommodations. Do associates otherwise get time to run to the restroom very often, or do you feel like that's penalized? Um, well, that's that's that depends upon management and the stores. It mm, varies. I see. It varies. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like there's a lot of variability based on who's calling the shots in a particular store. Despite what the policies might be, you're saying that it really depends on the management that you're directly that's dealing exactly, with. That's exactly how it goes. Because one thing I've learned from um, since I've been at Walmart, even the managers don't know policies. Mm. And... <laughs> And with the uh, the working app that our Walmart started, that has really, really, really beneficial to the associates. It's been beneficial to ma- beneficial to management because half the time they don't even know the policy. Just recently, um, I was having a conversation with my personnel manager, and I was telling her I was like, "Well, I went back and looked at my check stubs, and I noticed that um, if you work a consecutive twelve weeks." full-time hours that you're supposed to be guaranteed a full-time position. She was like, no, full-time is 34 hours. I was like, no, ma'am, it's 32 hours. I wanted so bad to tell her, maybe you need to download Work It. Yeah, right. So tell us about this app, Work It. What, what is this app? Oh, my goodness. It's, 
what it is, Walmart, the only time associates have time to access policies is while they're on the clock. And that's not good for anybody because who has time? So our decided that they would get together and come up with this app so that associates could go in and ask questions, and we have experts, which I'm one of them, and the experts will go in and answer these questions for the associates because nobody has time to access policy while on the clock. So our felt like we need to do something about that. We need to, you know, be able to put policies right in, in, in the, the associates' hands. Yeah, so that's so what like, they did. It's like having a policy professional in your pocket while you're on the job. Right, right. But it, it almost makes I me, mean, I think that's awesome, but it almost makes me a little sad that it had to come to that, that these Walmart associates are up against such misinformation from their own managers sometimes that they need to have that third-party app to be able to say, no, here's what the law is, here's what your rights are, and if you're... And you can't even really expect your manager to protect those rights or even really tell you accurately what they are. It's, like, up to you to figure that out. And you're exactly right. They can't tell you accurately what they are because they don't know themselves. Wow. That seems like a really whack way to run a business, to be quite honest. Like, I, I think it is, too. I think that should be one of the first things before, you know, becoming a manager. No policy. Yeah. You know, it's not like Walmart doesn't have the resources to train people. It's not like they aren't training people. It's not like they have a small workforce. Like they are one of the largest, they're like the largest employer in their country. And they're the largest private employer in the world. Exactly. So you can't have your policies available to workers who aren't on the clock. Like really? Obviously that's an intentional choice. Like, come on. Really? Really? Like that's what I'm left scratching my head hearing from you, uh, Janie about the ways in which obstacles seem to be put in individuals paths so much so that the burden always falls on you. The burden falls on the individual associate to advocate for the basic fairness that is already stipulated in the policies, but maybe your manager doesn't even know or respect them. And so I guess guess my question is, you know, what do you feel about this situation with ModCloth? I know that you've been involved with our Walmart's ModCloth campaign. How do you feel like that's an extension of what Walmart's been doing? Or or why is it important to know or for our listeners to know what ModCloth is just signed up for by being acquired by Walmart? I I really don't think ModCloth knows what they're getting into. That's, That's what I really think. Um, then at Walmart bottom out, their, you know, their, their customers were really upset because they was like, wow, we can't believe you would sell your line to Walmart of all people. Walmart, they don't stand up for women. They don't, you know, treat their women fairly. And I just believe that this is nothing more than an attempt to cover up a long history of poor treatment of women. Can you tell us a little bit about what our Walmart is doing around ModCloth, your new campaign about it? Yes, ma'am. Well, what ours done, they've launched this campaign called Hashtag Buy ModCloth, which is B-I-B-Y-E. Oh, buy ModCloth. Yeah, like buy like emoji waving <laughs> over here. Yes, yes. Um, what we're doing is um, this Cyber Monday, we're calling on women to stop shopping at ModCloth, and we're asking them to join Walmart Associates, former ModCloth Associates, and other progressive allies to to say hashtag buy my fly. 
Why do you think it's important for all kinds of women to know about the way that Walmart treats its employees, particularly female employees? Because, I mean, they need to know, like you said, Walmart is one of the big, is the biggest corporations in the world. And they don't want to pay their associates. They don't give enough hours if they do. And the scheduling conflict is so crazy. And, you know, people, they don't have time, you know, to take off time for themselves or their families if they're sick and, you know, or take pay family leave. And people need to know this. They really do. And being that we can't actually go out and boycott Walmart, we decided, well, here's a better way. Maybe this will help. You know what I'm saying? Being that they bought my cloth, let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can shut them down. That's basically what we're trying to do. I love it. Janie, I have to say, you strike me as like a really bold, outspoken person taking on Walmart and not being afraid to advocate and speak up for better practices. Do you ever fear retaliation from Walmart or has that ever been a problem? I haven't as of yet. I mean, at my store, like I said, I'm from a little small town and we have a smaller super center. Everybody knows who I am. (laughs) Before I even joined our, I was always outspoken. You know, I never held anything back because I always feel like what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And I've been a big advocate for myself since I've worked at Walmart. I've never advocated so hard for myself trying to get hours, trying to get a better position, trying to get full time. So I had to step up. I had to step up because I had I used to get tired of associates coming to me talking about, you know, things that wasn't going their way or things that wasn't right in the store and I was like, well, you know, why not just join with me, you know, to try to make things better for ourselves. But it's kind of hard because I live in a right-to-work state, so everybody's afraid. Well, I don't want to lose my job. and I, some, I had to stop being afraid. I was no longer afraid, you know, whether they were – I got to the point where I really didn't care whether they retaliated or not because as long as I'm standing up for what's right, I can't be wrong. Where did you find that courage, Janie? Because it, it isn't easy. What you've described to us today does not sound easy. And you've got a child at home, right? You've got the, your 18-year-old son. That yeah, And he still relies on you, I, I assume. What does it feel like to have the courage to advocate for yourself while you still really want to provide for your family and for yourself and make your life better while making lives for all associates better. Where do you find that courage? In my son. I mean, that's why I do this. I do this for him and he has a son. So I'm a grandmother. I got to try to, yes. So I'm trying to make a better life for them. You know, I shouldn't have to be out here advocating for better hours or, you know, whatever, but I got to because if I don't, then I'll be stuck getting 23 hours, 25 hours a week. How am I going to live like that? I can't. That I mean, I just, it's no. I can't do that. So I have to do what I have to do as a mom, you know, and as a grandmother. So if me advocating for myself is, is what it takes, that's that's what it takes. And I get my courage from them. They're my motivation, you know. That's what keeps me going day to day. That's what keeps me in Walmart. That's why I've been there so long, because it's not easy trying to find another job. I've been putting in applications everywhere. And just recently, I've been, you know, getting called in for interviews, which is fine. But no one say we're here. 
you know, we, we, we're going to hire you. Until that day comes, I'm going to have to stay at Walmart and I'm going to have to keep, you know, advocating for myself and others. That's beautiful. Do you ever feel like your son and I guess your grandchild, granddaughter, grandson? It's a grandson. Grandson. Aww. Do you ever feel like your son and your grandson, that you're actually, through what you're doing with our Walmart and advocating for yourself and other associates, that you're really setting up this idea of women as these strong vocal advocates who fight for positive change? Yes. Yes. Do you feel like a role model for them? I'm trying to be. It's not easy. <laughs> because It's not easy, right? Yes, I'm it's, trying to be. You're like... I mean, I... I I mean, what what mother doesn't want their kids or grandkids to actually look up to them? Mm. You know what I'm saying? You have to lead by example, and that's what I try to do. I try, you know, to teach my son that you can't let anything stand in your way. You have to go out there and you have to get it. There's no excuses. Mm. Even though, even though you may not always get what you want, you have to at least try. So... Absolutely. How can our listeners who are listening to your story and are listening to what's happening with our Walmart's Mod Cloth campaign and with how Walmart in general is treating associates and women, how can they join you? Because you shouldn't have to shoulder this burden all by yourself, right? You shouldn't have to be alone in this effort. And it shouldn't be up to just Walmart associates to make this positive change in the globe's largest employer. What can we do to get involved? What can everyday people do to support workers' rights at Walmart? Okay. Well, the first thing you can do is y'all can you can support this hashtag Buy Mod campaign. And I have three ways of how you can do that. First, you can pledge to stop shopping at Mod until they treat women with respect by visiting www.modclothiswalmart.org. Two, you can send a message to Mod on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and tell them why you're no longer shopping at Mod Be sure to use the hashtag BuyModCloth. And three, you can share hashtag BuyModCloth content from our Facebook page, Stand Up to Walmart. You can find it on Facebook by just typing in Stand Up to Walmart. So if anybody wants to jump in there with us and help us with this campaign, that would be great. Hell yeah. Bye, ModCloth. Bye, ModCloth. Yeah. Bye. Bye, Felicia. Bye, Bye Felicia. Yeah. Bye, ModCloth. <laughs> I love it. I'm so honored that you took time today to share your story with us, Janie. I feel like so often we talk about workers' rights in a way on this show that doesn't always break down the realities of what it actually looks like to be on the receiving end of, of short-term shift work from a major corporate entity like Walmart. And so your story really just made it so real for us in terms of what it means to be faced with seriously tough choices and on top of dealing with that injustice, taking on the added burden of changing how things are for everyone. So thank you, Janie, for being such an inspiration and an example of what it looks like to be a boss advocate for yourself, even when you're not going <laughs> to always get what you want. Like you said, like the courage that you've just described is so inspiring to me. And, and I'm so excited that our listeners can weigh in, can support your campaign, can hashtag buy ModCloth all day, every day, and especially on Cyber Monday and Black Friday. Yes, yes. Great. Well, I appreciate you guys having me, and 
I'm hoping that, you know, we have more people that will jump on board with this campaign and help us out because we need all the help we can get. Yeah, you know, no. enough is enough. And it's just time for Walmart to take responsibility for what they're not doing. So hopefully this will help a lot. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much, Janie. We really appreciate you being here with us and, you know, all the, all the best with your campaign and continuing to advocate for change, both at Walmart and to be that awesome role model for your kids. Can't stop, won't stop. Love it. Okay, Sminty listeners, what do you think of all of this? What do you think of the ModCloth Walmart acquisition? Do you still shop at ModCloth? Did you never shop at ModCloth? Did you love ModCloth and now you're feeling conflicted? How does Walmart show up in your life? We know they're the world's largest private retailer. Do you shop there? Do you work there? Does someone in your life work there? How does it show up in your life? Join us on social media to continue this conversation. You know where to find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Hit us up on Instagram at StuffMomNeverToldYou. And as always, we love getting your emails. So send them our way at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. 